Welcome to the Sporting Ones podcast, the AFL edition. Apologies for last week. I was a bit uh, crook, <coughs> um, but I'm back. And I'm back with my co-host, Hados, ready for another bumper edition. How you going, Hados? I'm going well, mate, and I'm glad to say that you've made a full recovery. Yeah, I think I have. A little bit of a tickle in the throat, but uh, it's all said and done with. So, it was an interesting round two, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, a lot of upsets uh, along the way, and yeah, there's still... Not for me. There's not really a clear picture of who's the best team in the competition yet, and I think um, there's still a way to go until we find out who that could be. Got to be happy with your boys back in town, though, surely. Yes, uh, that was much better. We uh, played the game style which we used to great effect last year, so um, that was clearly more evident against GWS. Um, and yeah, we looked a lot better. Clearly, Simpson had uh, got the web out in full effect, as we uh, as we know. Yeah, that's right, and uh, I think GWS sort of played into our hands for most of the second half, so it sort of blew the margin out a bit, but um, yeah, some good signs there, and we get some more players back this week, so yeah, let's hope we can uh, repeat the dose against Collingwood. Yeah, GWS really don't like travelling to Perth, it's probably one of their least favourite grounds along with Adelaide Oval, so it was a good result for West Coast, and they're back in town. So we'll go through quickly the round two winners. We had Richmond and Collingwood on the Thursday night game, and Collingwood were far too good, racking up some records along the way in that uh, in that game, especially in fantasy land. Uh, Adelaide were too good for Sydney at the SCG, continuing their good record at that ground, by the way. Now, this one I want to talk about because uh, you picked it early in the week uh, and it would have been on the podcast, uh, but it was written down and you picked St. Kilda to upset Essendon and boy, were you 100% correct. Yeah, um, I just Essendon are just way off the mark at the moment and that was really evident against GWS and um, yeah, from everything that I saw against them, I just didn't think that they could turn that around in a week. And uh, St. Kuda would do enough and, you know, the game was, there was probably a little bit of a tense moment somewhere in the last quarter, but then St. Kuda straightened up and put the, the game beyond doubt and it was a deserved win for them. Speaking of tense moments, I was at the Port game and uh, Port ended up winning, but only by 16 points. They were given a, a very tough contest by the Blues and I keep telling people Carlton aren't as bad as what you think they are, especially having seen them live. And there's one player to watch over the coming years. It's going to be, there's all the talk of Kerno and Cripps, but just watch how Harry McKay develops. He is an absolute beast with some very strong hands. Yeah, he's really coming along now. I think uh, Kerno definitely got the jump on him. He's probably maybe a season or two in the system longer than him. But uh, yeah, he's definitely starting to put it all together. And you're right, as soon as he can um, play a fully consistent four-quarter game, then yeah, that forward line is going to be pretty daunting. Yeah, it looks like it's growing. So I don't think they're too far away from breaking this 100-point barrier uh, that they've got. And uh, once they do, uh, I think it could be a, a watershed moment for the Blues and they could just kick on from there. So the other winners were Geelong over Melbourne and you were telling me that you were strong on Melbourne all week and then that happened. How did you feel after getting St Kilda right and then that wrong? Yeah, it hurt. I mean, the scoreline made it look really bad. But if you look at the stats and you watch the game, there were moments there where if Melbourne had have taken their opportunities and kicked the goals, it could have been different. I mean, I think the third quarter, they kicked something like four points in a row, had all the play. And then Geelong went into their fifth forward 57 times and kicked six goals. And 
you know, sometimes the margins just just blow out after after quarters like that. So yeah, it was disappointing, but um, not fully without merit. Something like a hundred and twenty. Five point turnaround from the elimination final last year, mm. uh, which puts it into context. West Coast, as we said, were uh, back in the winner's circle with a great win over GWS. In fact, they blew that out of the water after quarter time, uh, just looking at the scores. Uh, Brisbane, um, I think we both picked that as an upset last week, uh, beating the Ruse, although I don't know how much of an upset it really is. Yeah, um, I was really worried after watching that first quarter because uh, North Melbourne were really well set up in the game and it just didn't look like Brisbane had any avenues out of defence and into their forward 50. Um, And then up steps Oscar McKinnery, who has a great second and third quarter, takes a few huge marks, kicks a few good goals, and then a lot of the work was done in the middle too, which uh, Brad Scott, uh, touched on after the game and the importance of uh, the centre clearance work, which is something that North Melbourne are normally very good at. But uh, Brisbane found a way to overpower them and then that's where they got their ascendancy from. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, Brisbane looked really, really good, especially the delivery into the forward line uh, is very good. But there's one player that a certain side misses that they've gained and when Brisbane have him in their forward line, they're always a chance because he just... Brings so much forward pressure. He's so dangerous and he's so quick. And that's Charlie Cameron. If he's not one of the best top five small forwards in the game, I'd be very surprised because he has not only the ability to keep the ball in the forward line, but also hurt you on the scoreboard as well. So he plays two ways. Yeah, but uh, interestingly, he was actually very well held by Marley Williams until Marley copped a corky. And then he came off the ground, then went back on and was uh, limited. So that's when Charlie Cameron got his uh, couple goals there. So if it wasn't for that, you know, maybe uh, Marley Williams would have completely shut him out. But uh, yeah, it doesn't take much for him to, to set the game alight. And he can do things that players can't. He has this strength that you just really have to look at in awe because he's so strong for his size. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, exactly. His, uh, his core strength must be amazing. Uh, Western Bulldogs ended up getting over Hawthorne, and for the second week in a row on game day, I lost my nerve and I backed the favourite over the Bulldogs, and that's twice they've hurt me. Having said that, I'd love to know if the result would have stayed the same if Burgoyne and Shields hadn't got injured towards the end of the third quarter and then were both out for the majority of the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's right. And also the 6-6-6 rule, that's what really helped Western Bulldogs too because Hawthorne weren't able to put an extra in defence and stem that tide, stop their momentum. So that's an example of how it can change and maybe the, the injuries that do happen to players, it's always been a factor, but maybe now it will be even more of a factor because they can't ever stop that momentum, which is a trend that has been across in just about every game I've seen. Yeah, exactly. And then that adds another element because James Sicily just decides to have brain fades whenever things yeah, he was, go tough. He was stiff. He was very stiff. And we'll come to that because another player who was very stiff was when I was at the game. Uh, it was Scott Lysett. I could not understand why there was a free kick on the wing, paid against him for the slightest of touches. I don't even reckon Mohamed Salah would have gone down in the box with that that amount of uh, touch. Yeah, and that's a big call. Um, another one too, Zach Jones from uh, Friday night against the Crows was just the softest tummy tap ever. 
got given a free kick against and yeah a lot of people were just scratching their heads it's like is this what it's coming to which is sad in a way but hopefully somewhere between the overcorrection and then maybe another overcorrection from that we can get a middle ground and make everyone happy or we could just call it another sport and call contact every time there's uh, contact. How about that? Yeah, I don't know about that. It's getting that way. Um, the last game of the round also was probably the most exciting, um, which we probably didn't think. Fremantle and Gold Coast, and Fremantle were up for the majority of the final quarter, but uh, probably the better side for that whole game was Gold Coast, and the scoreboard suggests that. And they ended up getting over the line and getting their first win of the season, which I think is massive for their confidence and for their ability to grow as a side under Stuart Jew. Yeah, well, I flagged this one as being a lot closer than what people thought, and if it weren't for maybe the the bookies' odds, I would have almost tipped Gold Coast. But, um, yeah, they, they were definitely the better side. Uh, maybe we're sort of over-praising Fremantle after that first round, I don't know, because, uh, yeah, Gold Coast were clearly the better side, and... We're deserved winners. Yeah, exactly right. So that ended the interesting round that was round two. And still, as you say, we can't get a read on where the competition is at yet. And we probably won't for another couple of weeks, but that's what keeps it interesting. So the sides with the 0-2 start, which traditionally means from that point, you are virtually done for the season, which seems so strange. But those are the statistics. Only Sydney twice since 2000 and Collingwood once last season have managed to overturn a 0-2 start and make the finals. So there's five sides that I've looked at that are on 0-2 and you'd put a line through pretty much three of them and then the other two are on the preface of perhaps not making it but could still make it. Sydney. Now, I ruled them out at the start of the season and they're 0-2 but we also know They've got history with overturning these 0-2 starts, and they've overturned a 0-6 start, the only side to do so. There's Carlton at 0-2. I don't see them making the eight from here. North Melbourne at 0-2, based on their form, based on the side they've got. As much as I said they'd go close, I don't see them making it. And then the last two sides play off this weekend in Essendon and Melbourne. One of them can make it, and I'm not sure which one it is. Yeah, um, also Sydney Carlton face off as well. So there's. Yes, I failed to mention that. Two teams that will be 0 3, owing to uh, no draws. But uh, look, I think we're going to have to reevaluate Essendon because they're so far off the boil, it's not even funny. And there's been signs from Melbourne um, that they can turn their season around. And I think they will do against Essendon. Um, but yeah, Essendon, they've got a lot of work to do. They did sort of have a similar start last year. I know they were in a really bad position and then came home. What was it? Two, six, I think they were after round eight and lost to another side on that list in Carlton, which pretty much ruined their season. Yeah. And then we know what happened after that. They came with a freight train and then nearly made the the finals. So it, it is still possible and they have strengthened their list from last year. And then, you know, Danaher could even still get fit and make an impact. But, yeah, they've got a long way to go and I can't see it getting any better for them at the moment. If they're 2-5 or 2-6 again, does that spell curtains for an ex-premiership coach of yours? 
Well, probably. I mean, I think he's still contracted until the end of next season. So uh, clubs aren't in the business of cutting um, coaches short when they're going to be paid out something like a million dollars, which is just bad business for them. So, um, But then you also have the potential. The more you keep on losing, and I've noticed this from the world game, the more you keep on losing the potential you have, to lose those sponsors and money anyway. So therefore, it's better to buy the bullet, pay out the money, say you made a mistake, move on and get a new coach in. But do you think that Wusher was a, is a bad coach? I, I, I don't think he's a bad coach, but at the end of the day, as we've seen with other clubs, you make that move and sometimes it's for the best. Sometimes it's just the collective of the coach, the players, the staff, everything. Now, bearing in mind, he's already removed Mark Neald. And that was supposedly the problem last year. And then now they're having a similar start with looks like a similar fitness base. So was it really Mark Neald or is there something more sinister going on? Yeah, well, potentially. I think uh, it's it's hard to sort of put a line through them because they, they did show such great signs at the end of last year. Mm. So I guess, you know, unless it, sort of starts to turn pretty soon then yeah maybe that is something that's going to have to be heavily considered and I think you know he's already under the pump now as it is so yeah I'm going to I guess I'm going to be harsh on them because I've been bullish on them as you have we've both been pretty bullish on them and regarded them in uh, I guess top four chances top four chances we've regarded them highly and we've given them the opportunity so they're going to be judged harshly and we're not the only ones to um, a lot of the experts are asking the same question. Uh, Jonathan Brown and Gary Lyon almost came to blows on AFL 360. Well, okay, that's a bit dramatic, but they did have some uh, quite um, feisty conversation after round one and I can imagine that, um, you know, there's more than uh, Bre- uh, Jonathan Brown and uh, Gary Lyon questioning them. So they have to stand up this week. There's no two ways about it. So there was a few upsets, as we alluded to. The Bulldogs, the Crows, Gold Coast and St Kilda were probably your upsets, uh, which we pretty much nailed. Well, I nailed two of them but changed on one of them and you nailed two of them as well. And we could have nailed a third had we had more confidence in the Gold Coast. Injuries were another big talking point. And the first one I want to get off the uh, off the rank was Thursday night, Collingwood went into the game and found out that uh, one of their fullbacks who was on the comeback trail had done his ACL again at 32, 33, I think Lyndon Dunn is. For me, that is, it's pretty much career over, which is quite sad because he was making a uh, solid comeback. And he is one of the, I guess, larrikins, likeable, uh, love them, hate them type of players. Bit of a cult figure. Yeah, and he really revitalised himself at Collingwood too because it looked like his career was done once he he was uh, cut from from Melbourne. Um, So it's disappointing for him, definitely. Uh, And I guess the only positive is that they're in probably a better shape now with uh, the likes of Roughhead and and Moore in good fitness and then they've still got Reed and then potentially Goldsack as well. So that's probably the only silver lining for Collingwood. But yeah, upsetting for for Lyndon Dunn. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other big injuries from the weekend. Uh, I'll start off with opposition rather than my own club. Uh, Stephen May, first game back and does his groin. So you'd think that's going to rule him out for about three to four weeks. And again, with Lever still being out, it does leave them short at the back and inexperienced, which perhaps Essendon could exploit this week. Um, 
bad news for him, especially making the move from the Gold Coast. He would have wanted to start out um, with a blaze of glory, and that hasn't happened so far. Mm. Yeah, disappointing. Um, so, yeah, we, we're yet to see the best of him at Melbourne, um, but uh, after a bit of rehab and then, yeah, maybe with Lever coming back and a few other uh, modifications, then he can sort of hit his straps again. Yeah, and then there was the... Yeah, I'm not going to say tragic, but the shattering injury to Jack Watts who broke his uh, fibula and also dislocated his right ankle. So he broke his leg pretty much uh, in a tackle from Dale Thomas, which was unfortunate. He was starting to show signs that he could become a a good defensive player. He did read the game really, really well. Um but he's probably going to sit the season out now, I would say. And Carl Eamon did his knee in the first quarter for Port Adelaide as well um, and done his medial, so he's five to six weeks. So that robs him of a bit of run, and he had a good start as well. So there was talk Hartlett would be back this week, but uh, he's had a bit of a setback, I think, so he won't be back. But uh, Ollie Wines will return for one of them, you would think. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, disappointing for, for Jack Watts. Obviously, he was starting to find himself at AFL level and then, you know, he's had something else thrown at him. Some of it has been his, his own fault, Doing, obviously, yeah. off, uh, in off-seasons. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, he's going to have a lot of support around him and he has shown a lot of mental toughness, really, to get All through really, the other yeah. side. So, you know, he can do it um, and hopefully there's no complications. It is really tricky with with leg and and feet and ankles just because you know you're standing on them there's not much blood flow etc etc so hopefully he can get back i think they're optimistic that he he might be able to but um yeah it's going to be a tough road ahead but we think he can he can do it yeah he can do it but whether he gets back this season or next is probably the determining factor and given that charlie dixon's had a similar injury and is still struggling to return and there's an unknown date you'd have to think he's ruled out for the season which leads us into probably the two biggest injuries of the weekend and probably the biggest one and it'll lead us into a bit of an aflw spin aaron phillips and chloe Shear both going down with it's just been terrible injury this year, ACLs again. Um, and you could hear the collective um, groan from the record 53,034 crowd at Adelaide Oval. As soon as she went down, it was pretty much like a funeral. But, um, yeah, everyone gave her a standing ovation and she'd done enough to still win the medal. But you'd have to think it's it's 12 months She's got her third child on the way. She's just won all the awards that you could win in the AFLW, including polling 19 votes out of 21 across the competition. Does she come back? That's that's the – and I know how driven she is, but having done anything, won two premierships, two awards, two alphas, um, does she come back? Yeah, well, that's a great unknown and there's obviously lots of different factors that go into it. Obviously, her personal life as well as professional. So, yeah, it's anyone's guess. It was very upsetting for, for her because she's basically the face of AFL Women's. Absolute, absolutely dominant. Such a lovely girl. So, um, yeah, very disappointing for her. And the same could be said for Chloe Shear too. Um 19-year-old, but already on a second ACL, so that doesn't bode well. Some, and she just, people just have that sort of luck, don't they, which is unfortunate. And she'd just taken, I saw probably one of the best marks I've seen in AFLW, she took an absolute hanger about a couple of minutes before, so she would have been on such a high, yeah. and then next minute your, your knee's given way and your 
done an ACL. But it was an absolutely terrific advertisement for the women's game, and that's the best advertisement you can have. 53,000 people there, a good grand final to watch uh, on the eye, almost probably better than watching Gold Coast Frio, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it just ended with that. It was, it really was like a funeral, and you could just hear the collective groans of everyone. And for me, having watched Chris Judd do his ACL against, I reckon it was against Adelaide. It felt like a Chris Judd moment where I thought, I don't know whether we'll see like Aaron Phillips again type thing. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, not a bad point. Um, yeah, it's hard, it's really hard to say. Obviously, I think. Um, yeah, she she does have great determination, and from everything that her, the people around her say, that uh, she's definitely got got it in her to to recover and, and get back to her best. So, yeah. moving on from that though, Adelaide thoroughly deserved the win and were forty five point winners over Carlton, sixty four to I think eighteen nineteen. I think it was nineteen. Well, they were the best team all year. Like yeah. clearly, they smashed basically everyone they played by an absolute mile. Uh, so professional, um, and their skills, they were very, very clean. Um, they had Danielle Ponta, who's uh, Cyril Rioli's cousin. She was very good up forward. Stevie Lee Thompson was very good coming from Darwin. Chelsea Randall, you can yeah. reel them off. Ebony Marinoff, uh, Angela Foley, Jess Foley, uh, who's come from basketball, given 10 days to learn the ruck trade and was probably one of the best uh, ruck uh, women in the comp. Um, it's going to be interesting next year. I don't know whether they're moving too quickly on AFLW because there's another four clubs, including West Coast, are coming into the fray. So there will be a Western derby. But if they're going to have, uh, what is it, 12, 14 teams, they have to increase the competition. You can't have seven rounds with that many teams. They have to either start it earlier or run it with the men's games as Kurt raises. Yeah, well, I think um, the, the crowd at the grand final speaks volumes for how it's being received um, nationwide. So, yeah, I think uh, they'll definitely expanding. The competition is definitely going to be on their agenda and uh, it won't be too long before there's probably every AFL team with a women's team. Yeah, I don't think that's too far away, but the only concern is that they're going to uh, basically uh, take away from perhaps the talent pool and there won't be, um, I guess, the same level that we're at now or that we're getting to. But that will take time. All right, let's move on to, into round two. Uh, round two, we're already up to round three. It's flying by, and Thursday night we've got a uh, Titanic clash at the Adelaide Oval. It's Adelaide versus Geelong, both at a dollar ninety. Absolute even, Stevens. I'm not sure if I agree because there's one huge out for Adelaide, and he's a constant of their lineup. And I think it's going to unsettle them and disrupt them, even though Geelong are coming off a five-day break. And normally, I would not pick a side on a five-day break. Yeah, and uh, obviously, Sam Jacobs that you're referring to, and it affects the center center works, which is oh so important now. So that is a massive factor to take into consideration. Um, and against my better judgment, I'm still going to say Adelaide, probably just for the fact that it's at home. And they do have an extra day's rest on them, but uh, that's all I can sort of get. It is very even for me. I get the feeling maybe you're backing in Riley O'Brien's endurance ability and the fact he wins the time trials or gets close to winning the time trials. Is that maybe a reason why? 
No, not at all. <laughs> I don't really have any expectations for Riley O'Brien, but uh, I think it can be one elsewhere on the ground for Adelaide. If they were playing another side with a quality ruckman, say Collingwood or Melbourne, mm. would you then change your mind? Well, uh, you'd think so, but at the same time, we've only seen Source Jacobs. We haven't. I've only. I haven't seen any work of Riley O'Brien, so I don't even know what he brings to the table. All I know is that he does well at Sanford level and has always been pushed, uh, knocking on the door, but just, you know, sources, as you said, a mainstay. Source. So it's hard It's hard to know what he brings to the table. So he gets this opportunity and, uh, yeah, maybe it could be a look to the future for, for Adelaide if things yeah. go well. He's a fair size. He's a fair size of a lad. So he should do fairly well, but... Uh Stanley will definitely have a bit more athleticism over him, I'd probably say. Uh, all right, we're going to disagree on this one. I'm going to go Geelong. You're going to go Adelaide. So <laughs> that takes us even into a match with more on the line on Friday night at the MCG. Melbourne versus Essendon. I'm a bit surprised at the odds on this one, but uh, Melbourne, $1.44, Essendon, 275 it's one I've been toying with because I can see Essendon fighting back, but I just can't get my mind around the fact that Melbourne's probably got more firepower and the fact that Oliver, Gorn, Viney all found a bit of form last week despite the trouncing they got. Yeah, um, if you're looking at the score lines, you'd have to say that maybe Essendon are a better chance, but, uh, well, last week mainly in particular. But uh, watching them play, there was so many... Miss marks, fumbles, um, they're just so far off the boil. I just can't see them turning it around. And I think Melbourne win this easily and it could be, you know, a 50 to 60 point margin. I just, I really am struggling to see the better side of Essendon right now and they really need to turn it on to to uh, get the world talking again. <laughs> wow, okay. If it, if it blows out, let's just say, theoretically, it blows out to an 80, 90 point loss. Does that really put his job in jeopardy then? Is he really on the line? Are they going to have to make a tough call that they don't want to make this early in the season? Well, again, it's it's a hard one. But uh, yeah, it's going to amplify that blowtorch even more, isn't it? Mm, the blowtorch. Good uh, segment on uh, Talking Footy. Uh, right. So another game that we alluded to, another zero two sides playing off against each other in the early Saturday slot. It's Carlton versus Sydney from Marvel. And Sydney usually have a good record at Marvel, but they have started to slide at Marvel over the last few games over the last year. Mm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I reckon Carlton have a decent record against Sydney too, especially in Melbourne. Um, and, yeah, the big matchup for me is Liam Jones versus Franklin. That is going to decide a lot for me um, because Franklin, and unless Sydney find another forward, I hear that McCartan might come in, which could help a lot, but they just need someone to support Buddy, like plain and simply. He was amazing last week against Adelaide and they still lost by five goals. So, yeah, um, Carlton, they're improving. Uh, Kurnow is going to be a big loss for them, but uh, they might be able to find someone to replace him. And they're really uh, sort of, they're just way more competitive now. And mm. I, I can see them staying in the contest and, and beating Sydney. Yeah. They're, they're fitness based, and this is what I'm trying to allude to a few people that are questioning Carlton. Their fitness base is a lot better 
than what it was last year. And that in part is due to Andrew, Andrew Russell coming over from Hawthorne, a renowned fitness guru. Now, they're staying in games a lot longer. In fact, in that Richmond game, they were within eight points early in the last and should have beat Richmond, being that Richmond were a man down. Probably inexperience. Maybe they just lost their way a bit. They lost that. Against Port Adelaide, when they were down at half time by three goals... Last year, they would have lost that by 10. They would have lost their heads and they would have lost it by 10. They stayed in it and they gave Port an almighty fright when they shouldn't have got close. Mm. Harry McKay is starting to grow. Andrew Phillips looks like he's actually a decent replacement for Cruiser at the moment. They'll be in that contest. The only thing they've got to do is they've got to help Cripps because last year he got shut down too easily by George Hewitt and he had no help. Setterfield, Walsh. Uh, who else is in there? Um, Murphy's back. Um, Thomas have all got to go and help him. Even if Thomas plays a dirty role and starts getting into George Hewitt, which I know Thomas can do, that's what they've got to do. But they're not without a chance here and they can beat Sydney. I don't know why. I've liked Carlton all week up, but Kerno out just turns it for me. So I'm backing in Sydney with no confidence at all. Okay, fair enough. All right, so Saturday Twilight coming to you from Greater Western Sydney, or as it's known now, the Giants Stadium. GWS are a dollar. The graveyard, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, GWS is a dollar sixty. Richmond are out to two thirty-two, and probably reflective of who they have out in now. Rewalt's gone. Um, Rance is out. Hawley still not back. They're at sixes and sevens with their structures. This is an Damien Hardwick-like side, and we haven't seen it for a couple of years, but it's exposed them a bit. It's left them vulnerable, and you can see it. And not only that, their most influential player, Dustin Martin, is well off the pace, and he doesn't look like finding form at all. So, uh, yeah, no rants. Rants, sorry. Uh, No rewalt. They, they are huge losses, and I just can't see them replacing them. No, neither can I. And the, and the problem with Martin, and I just wonder, he alluded to the fact he had depression last last season, and we knew uh, something was up with him, and obviously we now know what that was. It makes me wonder whether he's actually lost the passion for the game, which can happen with some of these players. Mm. Well, yeah, the anxiety that he's talked about can really grab you, and if you're not in the right mind frame when you go out there, just really affects your performance. And we saw that basically for the whole year last year from him. Mm. Um, you know, he was well down on his Brownlow winning form. And, yeah, he's, he's off the pace again. So he's, uh, he's going to have to find something that sort of maybe relaxes him and gets him in the groove. And then he can start to enjoy himself again, which is, which is a key. But uh, I don't see it happening this week. And I think uh, GWS are uh, a sure thing here. Yeah, I think GWS and Stephen Coniglio get back to uh, their winning ways. Taranto as well. And Taranto, yes, we need Taranto. Um, Saturday night, interesting game. Uh, very interesting. Involves my Port Adelaide and Brisbane from the Gabba at 6.55. Sorry to interrupt there. Josh Kelly also in for GWS. Uh, and the return of Mumford, which we didn't even touch on as well. Yes, so big huge. mummy. So Dawson Simpson will unfortunately make way. Um, quality Ruckman that he's been for GWS. Um, 
Oh, he's been solid, but I mean, he's big door. So you got big mummy or big door? So who are you going to choose? Yeah, you're going to go mummy. Yeah, I mean, that snorting of the white powder, the that just uh, the line man. We'll call him the line man. The line man is back, and uh, he'll be um, throwing his weight around against Big Nate the Tank. So that will be a contest in itself. But Brisbane Port Adelaide is the next game at the Gabba. Brisbane $1.60 favourites, Port 2.30. Tell you what, if Port were to cause an upset in this one, that'd almost be. I hate, oh, no, no, I'm not going to say it. No, I'm just going to leave Don't it there. Say a sure thing for no, 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 no. I wasn't thinking that. Surely I wasn't. But it had set it had set them a up for a huge season, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, similarly, if it was to go the other way and Brisbane do win as favourites, that puts them in a hell of a good spot too. Three O beaten the reigning premiers and gone over to Melbourne and beaten a nemesis of theirs in North Melbourne. Yeah, and their form at the Gabba is you know really really good, and owing to the fact that they have half their games there, then they're a massive chance. I think if they win this, which I think they can, um, there is a little bit of doubt in me that for some reason I've just got Port. I've just got a feeling about them, but uh, I'm not game enough to back them in against the Lions. Uh, I don't get that feeling. <laughs> having watched Port last week in live. So you are Mr. Pessimistic, though. Well, I tend to be more realistic than pessimistic. I just think Brisbane are too good a side that uh, – no, don't judge me on my fantasy. I'm pessimistic with my fantasy. Um, I think that Brisbane are too good a side here, uh, even with Port getting wines back. Uh, Rockliffe will be – that'll be a battle within a battle, especially if someone like Robbo goes to him because that would be uh, mighty interesting. Well – Brisbane do have a few more dimensions to them now with McCluggage and Barry. They're really, really coming on now. So they have to be... Rainer, Rainer looks even better than last season as well. Yeah, I don't think he's really sort of taken it just yet. I think he was injured last week, so he didn't really, uh, after that, was a little bit quiet. But um, yeah, I think uh, the midfield is, is going to be a huge contest and power have enough to match them, that's for sure. Mm, not true, but I'm going to stick with Brisbane as uh, as you've alluded to. You are as well. Taking us to the, uh, well, I'll let you run through it. The grand final replay. Uh, we're sitting here watching three AFL 360 with uh, Jared Whaley and Robbo. They're playing highlights from the grand final last year. I'm getting shivers, and I'm really looking forward to this game because it's going to show a lot for the competition as where these two sides are. And I think that um, Collingwood are probably deserved favourites on the back of their walloping of Richmond last week. But I don't think that West Coast allow them to play the same game. And if Collingwood in turn allow us to play our favourite game, which is sort of um, roll one back and, and have the ball kicked in the air, our defenders are a much better class. We got Barras, McGovern. They can stop the effect of Cox. And, um, yeah, we, we can definitely be dominant in the air. So if it turns to that sort of game, I think that we've got the advantage. Also, it's going to be interesting to see how Gaff slots back in. Um, obviously, a first-choice midfielder, so there's no question where he starts. Um, but after eight weeks off, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he uh, hits the ground. Yeah, no, uh, I'm uh, torn on this one. I really don't know. I mean, Collingwood have added an extra string to their bow, which we don't know how West uh, West Coast will combat with, uh, obviously, the extra midfielder in 
Dane Beams. And we've seen maybe still Sidebottom get affected a bit by it. Um, His numbers are a bit down. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And can Grundy take control of this match now up against a different Ruckman in Hickey? Because Lysett really nullified him in that grand final. And that went a huge way to West Coast winning the grand final. Yeah. Um, And the question is, who does Hutchings go to? Does he go to Sidebottom or does he... Maybe go to Trelaw, who's had such a great start to the year. Well, it's a matter of whether does Simpson think that Trelaw's disposals hurt enough, perhaps a bit in the same light that Lockie Neal gets seen in and who else gets seen in that light where the disposal doesn't really Im- – oh, Tom Mitchell, duh. Uh, the pig's out. So – Rockcliffe as well, maybe in years past. Yeah, Rockcliffe in years past. Um yeah, if I was if I was Hutchings, who do I go to? That's that's an interesting point. Well, he has form against Sidebottom, so that's something that they'll take into consider. But I reckon even uh, last week he spent time on Caniglio uh, first and foremost, but he also spent a bit of time on Whitfield. So he is a bit of a horses for courses, and I reckon he can match it with anyone that he goes to. So um, it could be a matter of we'll see who's hurting us the most and just send him to blanket them for the rest of the game. If you've got Collingwood midfielders in your fantasy side, just beware because your numbers could be down this week because the Hutchings tag wears very hard, and I know that from uh, Stephen Caniglio. And also, uh, West Coast really responded in the midfield um, last week against GWS because they were soundly beaten by Brisbane, and I think uh, a lot of that was put on the midfielders, and um, they really nullified GWS around the contest, around the ground. So if they come with that same sort of mindset, it's just going to be a completely different game to how Collingwood had it against Richmond. And uh, it's going to be a pretty close one. Now, there's a return of gaff, but there's also the potential return of a genuine small forward um, who did play off in the grand final in Crips. And he could be a crucial return. Now, I know in my own mind, I was thinking if Cox was out, then I definitely had ruled... Collingwood from winning, but if he was in, then I was picking him. So then I was picking Collingwood. With no real confidence, just perhaps for the Grundy effect and him finding form last week and the unknown quantity of Tom Hickey, although Tom Hickey was very good last week, just leaning towards Collingwood slightly, just maybe on that grand final revenge perhaps, even though they say that's never a factor. Mm. I always think it is. Just lean towards Collingwood for that fact. I know where you're heading. I know that you'll be picking West Coast in this one. I am, but I wouldn't say that I have the utmost confidence that we'll win. Um, yes, we showed great signs against GWS last week, but um, yeah, if we can put that performance together, I think that we can win and cover them. But uh, you know, if Collingwood do get on top of us and we're not able to stem their momentum, um, then it could be an issue. Yeah. Now, what, what's the opposite of Super Sunday? Um, <laughs> uh, unspectacular Sunday? Because I'm looking at it and none of these games fill me with, I don't know, that I really want to spend hours of my life watching it. I think these games would be close. Uh, I don't know. Western Bulldogs, Gold Coast is the first one. It's early Sunday, but not real early. Not your traditional 12.40 time stop. It's 1.50 p.m. and it's at Marvel Stadium. Western Bulldogs short favourites given their form on $1.18 and Gold Coast 4.75. 
for mine, the Bulldogs midfield wins this. If they come to town, they will win it, and they'll win it quite comfortably, I think, by at least five goals or more. McRae looks like he's found a bit of form. Lockie Hunter's in that 2016 form. Libba's back, and he's made a massive impact to that midfield. Just strong around the contest. Mitch Wallace, Bontempelli looks like the one who's starting to really tear it apart again. Bont, yeah. Um, I agree. I think the Bulldogs win this, but, gee, Gold Coast are plucky, and all it takes is a bit of confidence in these young players, which they're getting now, and they can definitely match it with Gold Coast around the ground. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's going to be all Bulldogs' way. I think this one will be close, but uh, you've probably just got to go with the Bulldogs. Yeah, I'm going Bulldogs five five goals plus. I'm bullish on them, and I'm actually going to back them in this week and not change my mind. Yeah which could be a factor as to why Gold Coast could win, Um, as I might be a Western Bulldogs jinx. Um, The middle Sunday game, the one that's on Channel 7, the main one, is Hawthorne North Melbourne. Now, at the start of the season, I might have been more excited about this, but just given recent weeks the way North Melbourne have played, the way Hawthorne have played, I'm not that thrilled by it. And Hawthorne... in terms of the odds, though, I think it might be closer than what you think. I think I think uh, you're right on the money with this one. Hawthorne a dollar fifty, North Melbourne a two fifty five. But with the injuries to Burgoyne and Shields, it means they're going to be bringing in a few probably players we haven't heard of before. Mm. Given that Daniel Howe's still getting up to fitness, Wingard could be right to go, so he might be one name that comes in. Yeah. But then it's the other players that they might be struggling with and they might just not have the depth that they've had in previous years. Yeah, I agree with that. The depth is uh, definitely going to be tested uh, so far. Cousins and Warple have really stepped up to the plate. But, you know, what's after that? We don't know. We haven't seen it, obviously. So we could uh, be surprised. Um, but, yeah, I think North looked pretty good last week against Brisbane, um, certainly at different times. And if they can... Uh, get that midfield, uh, the centre clearance work back in their favour, they're a huge chance here. And, yeah, I just have a feeling um, about North here. I'm still going to pick Hawthorne. But, um, yeah, this just has a little bit of an upset. Yeah, it's it's not with any great confidence I'll pick Hawthorne again. That word confidence, not not feeling it that much, but I'm going to back the Hawks in. Sunday Twilight, and again, it's at a later time slot of 4.50. Uh, Fremantle and St Kilda from Optus Stadium. And look, you've got to hand it to St Kilda. They've done all that they can do given their opponents, and they're 2-0. and um, Flying start, in good form. Josh Bruce looks back to the brilliant forward that he was a few years ago. And Fremantle... Jekyll and Hyde, they were Jekyll against North Melbourne, absolutely sensational, kicked over 100 points, looks fantastic, went to the Gold Coast and could barely and didn't even get to 60 points. So will the real Fremantle please stand up? (laughs) Yes, nice nice segue there. Um, Yeah, this is a tough one. Again, it's probably going to be Fremantle that I go with, probably due to the fact that they're at home. Um, but yeah, not with any great confidence. Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, Jesse Hogan, if he can find his feet, um, well, is he going to be played in the right position? Because didn't he play midfield against Gold Coast? 
He did, but he looked good in there. He got his hands on the ball, and uh, it was just for the fact that no one was actually getting the ball forward for Fremantle, so that's what they had to do. Walters was the same. He didn't have any influence, and he got put into the midfield late, but it was too late. Is it, is it robbing Peter to pay Paul, though, putting someone like Jesse Hogan in the midfield? Well, they've never had Hogan up forward, so who knows, really? Well, they've got now they've got Hogan, McCarthy, Lobb, all of, uh, Tabernet. All of a sudden, they've got key forwards coming out of their rectum, and they don't know what to do with them. Well, I don't know about that. I just think it was a fact that they just they couldn't get the ball forward, so they just had to put Hogan in the middle and hope that he, he could sort of change the game, which he did to an extent. He got his hands on it. And um, looks pretty good. So that's something that they're probably going to be using, as you said, with all these uh, tall targets. If it's not getting down there, they'll just put Hogan in the middle. And is Sean Darcy good enough for long enough? Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Now, the other question I've got is what's your thoughts on Fife as a two-way player? Because this has been levelled midweek, I saw, as a huge criticism of him. Yeah, it has, and we know Fife for all is attacking exploits, so maybe it is uh, with some sort of uh, merit. Mm. Actually, I reckon, uh, I can't remember who it was, but I reckon it's got some real merit in it that he is very much a one-way runner. Well, it was Paul Ruse and Mick Moorhouse who uh, labelled him that way. They yeah. said deplorable even, which is, uh, it's hard to imagine with the player of Fife's uh, capabilities that he could be that bad, but uh, maybe something to keep an eye on. I yeah. think he will respond though. He knows how to extrapolate the pill, but I don't know that he knows how to defend his opponent if his opponent gets off the chain. So ooh, interesting to see how he goes responding to that criticism. So the gold medal match I've got as the uh, grand final rematch, Collingwood West Coast, no-brainer. Uh, the silver medal match, which I think will be an absolute cracker tomorrow night, will be Adelaide Geelong. And the bronze medal match I've got is Melbourne, is Melbourne and Essendon because they are the teams under the most amount of heat. Um, so that's interesting. All right, let's have a look. At our locks, um, I've got GWS and Western Bulldogs as the locks of this week. Who have you got? Well, controversially, I've got the Ds just because I think Essendon are that bad at the moment. Huge call. And, Huge call. Uh, yeah, for a team that's 0-2 and, and just got done by 80 points, we'll see how that looks uh, by the end of Friday night. And GWS, the other one. Yeah. Uh, upsets, I've got... Um, Contrary to your lock, I've got Essendon as an upset. And I've also got St Kilda as a potential upset in the last game. Who have you got? Well, I've got the Eagles, of course, Ooh. and also another one that we talked about, Carlton, to beat mm. Sydney. Best value, I've got Carlton at 260, and I've also got West Coast. So I've got them as my best value. Um, looking at uh, the teams available, who have you got as your best value picks? Well, I reckon St Kilda for 280. Uh, that's pretty good value for me. And, uh, yeah, maybe Gold Coast as well at 475. Oh, extreme roughy. Yeah, well, it is value, that's for sure. All right, so running through our tips, we've got uh, – I've gone the Cats, the Demons. I changed my mind. I'd originally wrote Colton, but we've got Sydney, GWS, the Lions, the Pies, the Bulldogs, the Hawks, and Fremantle. Hados, you have – the Crows, Demons, Carlton, GWS, Lions, Eagles, Bulldogs, Hawks, and Freo. Holy moly, that's almost similar. Uh, well, we'll see. We're both on 10, so there might only be one difference this week. Oh, actually, there's two differences, so we'll see if they come off. Uh, and I just noticed on AFL360 that Melbourne have introduced a huge initiative for Friday night's match where they are putting up mean tweets and abuse towards AFL clubs 
mm. NFL players and they're going to rip that banner apart and donate, I think, proceedings from that to the Reach Foundation, Jim Stein's Foundation, which is all about youth um, and developing youth. Um, so that's a very interesting initiative from Melbourne and I think it's uh, very good uh, as one in five suffer from cyberbullying. Yeah, and uh, you actually see that in uh, American talk shows. I've seen it on the Jimmy Fallon uh, show there. They just have the, the NBA players, the one that I saw, and they read out the mean tweets and do their little response. And, yeah, it's just just stick it to the internet trolls because there's a lot out there. Mm. And, you know, it affects players. They're humans just like us. So yeah. if, if we would have caught the same treatment, we'd be feeling the same way and... Yeah, hopefully the players uh, can handle it and this is just a stand against it. Yeah, I think it's a huge stand, especially also given the uh, racism issues we've seen against one of your own in uh, Liam Ryan. So, yeah, let's stamp this uh, racism and also this um, cyber abuse out and uh, like Melbourne are going to do, rip the abuse apart. All right, quick fantasy run through. Uh, Big movers. Last week it was Adam Trelaw with a huge 152 on the Thursday night. Lockie Neal got 146. Jack Chris 142. Travis Boak 138. The Danger Man. I think he's back. 134. And Lockie Whitfield 133. Your huge rookies. Uh, Constable, who was sitting comfortably on my bench with 106. That really stung. Willem Drew, another 90. 94. And I didn't see this one coming, but Xavier Dersmer, 102, and Jordan Clark got 70 as well. The rookies... 13 at halftime. Yeah, I was worried when I saw him on five and it was halfway through the second quarter. I thought, what the hell have I done? Uh, But he proved me wrong, and thank you to Tommy Hawkins for providing an extra nine points. Yes, that was handy. And if you haven't got them, you have to look at a, fixing up your rookies if you've got rookies that aren't playing or you've got rookies that are quite low uh, in how they're scoring. Uh, and you've also got to look at getting in those that are, you know, scoring well on a week-to-week basis, which is hard to do at the start of the season. And that's why we've got misfiring premiums. You've gone with them, you're thinking they're a safe option and they're just not performing. What do you do? You've got to fix that mistake. So you've got Dustin Martin. Do you hold or do you fold? You fold until you see something because he's uh, badly out of form. Zach Merritt. Now, first week, deplorable. Second week, honourable. Third week, hold or fold? Uh, probably fold for me, but uh, can see him. Well, I just think he's a week-to-week proposition. Is he going to get attention? Is he not? And that's affecting him, so he's got to go. All right. Uh, now, Seb Ross, he was one I started with, and I quickly eradicated that mistake, and he backed it up with another Sub-80 score, hold or fold if you have him. I'd keep Ross because he does this. this. What? I folded. Yeah, well, I'm not you, am I? No, that's true. No, in my opinion, I'd fold. I think for the price that you're paying for him, there are far better options out there and one which would cost you 100K less and his name is Dom is good sheed. Yes, but he also has the impending return of Gaff, so we're yet to see how that plays out. Well, that could Gaff him, but we'll wait to see. Dunkley, now this is one you've been toying with. Hold or fold? Yeah, I'm really torn on this. I think I'm going to fold. 
just because we think he's got a little bit of a change in role. He did play a lot of midfield minutes last week, but he didn't score very well, so something's not quite right there. Heaney. Fold. He's carrying some sort of injury, but look for him to uh, pounce on him once he bottoms out. Hearn. I'd be keeping Hearn. Is that bias? Potentially. Okay. Uh, Jacobs. No. Go get rid of him. So if you've tried the experiment where you haven't had Grundy and Gorn and you've gone Jacobs, then get rid of him. What about Goldstein? Yeah, get rid of him. you got to pay up for the Grundy and Gorn. You just have to do it. What about Wits? Your man? Yeah, not without merit, but, um, you know, he's susceptible to, you know, some pretty average scores. Well, I wouldn't be getting rid of him this week. No. Timmy English. Yeah, should uh, Monster... The frail Timmy English. And get another 95. Brilliant. Um, players to target. So in your defence. Now, I initially had Laird on this list, but he's been – he hasn't been really Rory Laird-like. He's been okay, but not living up to last season's potential. I've got Lloyd, Whitfield and Salem. Thoughts on that? Lloyd and Whitfield are absolute no-brainers. They are in sensational form and don't look like uh, being affected by – Anything. Salem, great value, and I think that he can definitely keep up his form. Yeah, okay. Uh, Trelaw, Rockliffe, McRae for midfield. Yeah, stick with them. They're going to be great all year. All right. Boak, Kelly, Warple in attack. Stick with them. They're going to be great all year. And obviously target them if you don't have them. Ruck, I've got <laughs> Grundy, Gorn, Wits. Yeah, I would agree with that. Probably definitely in that order. All right, trade targets quickly. You are looking at? Yeah, well, I think I need to get Boak uh, and probably just uh, say goodbye to Dunkley for now. Okay. Uh, and you've also got Laird there, so you're looking at Laird in the next couple of weeks. Yes, I think uh, it's only a matter of time until he starts churning out those big numbers again. All right, I'm happy with my attack. Uh, so I'm looking at purely my defense, and Hearn is a worry for me. I don't know whether to hold him or whether to fold him, so I'm looking at Whitfield and Crisp, but it's a matter of which one I can afford. I think uh, Whitfield edges out Crisp there because Crisp does suffer from the occasional low scores for a period of time and then knocks out a big one. He goes from a 75 to 142. Yeah, and you want consistency, don't you? Yeah, true. All right, so... That brings us to the end of our AFL, AFL Fantasy episode. So follow on Facebook at The Sporting One, uh, Instagram at The Sporting One, which is actually my Instagram. Facebook It's just The Sporting One, Instagram at The Sporting One, and Twitter, one underscore sporting. And you can always listen to this on Spotify, iTunes, which is uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, and Anchor, which is the platform we're on. And good luck to your sides. Good luck to your fantasy sides. And we'll be back next week. Very well done, Paulie. We'll uh, speak then. Go the power. Go the Eagles.